This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mamalidi. So often I think as consumers, we are a bit spoiled here for choice. You hear reports in the news sometimes about food prices going up, you know, and everyone has a little grumble. But the reality is in the global world, food in Canada is actually inexpensive. Usually around February 8th or February 9th is Food Freedom Day in Canada. So that what that means is that the average person has earned enough by that date to feed themselves for the whole year. And I think the idea of Food Freedom Day is a sort of a touch point for how we value food in this country. That's Nicole Marinick. She runs a marketing agency and is passionate about food sustainability and is everyone's favorite food nerd. And now without further ado, let's welcome Nicole Marinick. Let me begin with thanks for coming on the show. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. Tell us a bit about yourself and Marin Marku Marketing. So we started the company seven years ago. Um, we're a full service marketing agency and we work with international as well as national brands who are doing really great things in Canada. So we help lifestyle, but really primarily food. Um, and before that, I worked at an organization called the George Morris Center for eight years. And that's really where I got sort of deep into food. Um, they were a think tank for agriculture in Canada, and we did a lot of uh, consumer research projects, business development, lean process improvement. Um, and that's really sort of where I understood, started understanding really all the complexities about the food industry and agriculture in Canada. That's what I think sets us apart from other marketing agencies, that we have um, really good depth of experience in marketing, um, but a very, very deep and comprehensive understanding of food and the, and the business of food. Now, what attracted you to agricultural marketing? I've always been in marketing. Um, before the George Morris Center, I actually worked in England for 10 years, and I worked for an international toy company. And so I was responsible for uh, marketing communications in the UK and Ireland and international product development. So we did a lot of branding and licensing work with big companies who were putting out movies or TV shows. That's sort of where I learned about marketing and practice. Um, and then when I came home, I worked at the George Morris Center, as I said, for eight years. And that's really where I got sort of deep into food and agriculture. And then it sort of made sense to take both of those passions and put them together. Um, before that, I've always been involved with food. So my grandfather was um, a hunter and an avid gardener, and he also ran a butchery. Um, for freezer meats. So like from the time I was probably three, he would get me in the butcher shop and like all of the grandchildren, we started with um, like a sharpened popsicle stick to sort of stab a piece of fat. That was mm-hmm. how we helped him. And then we progressed up, you know, as we got older into actually cutting the meat and like making sausages and all that sort of stuff. Just so I get this out there and I don't sound like a jerk when I called you everyone's favorite food nerd. Yeah, so somebody else called me that a while ago, and I really just thought it was a good title for me because I'm not a chef, I'm not a dietitian, but I've worked with dietitians and food writers and chefs and pretty much like, you know, everybody in the business of food too. And just through all of that exposure, I feel really that I do have a really good understanding um, of, of food. So, you know, if you had called me a food nerd, like in my teenage years, I'd be horrified. But now I think, oh, well, everyone knows nerds are cool now. So, okay. It is. It's a compliment. Okay. Now, a couple of games. I'm going to start with rapid fire. You've got five minutes to move into a new kitchen and you can only take one item with you. What would it be and why? A good knife because I really lived for a very long time without a good knife and I appreciate it so much now that I have one. Describe your culinary style in two words. Fast and easy. 
Your favorite curse word. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I have four kids. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> Dang it is as rough as it gets. <laughs> it's like, watch your mouth. Dang it. <laughs> okay, so your favorite snack. English muffin with butter. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm a carboholic. Now, this one's my favorite. I ask everyone this. Justin Timberlake brought sexy back. What would you bring back? Oh, heck. <laughs> There's that curse word again. <laughs> <laughs> you are out of control. I don't know, my 20-year-old body? <laughs> <laughs> not, even, not even just for sexy, just for like how my knees worked and stuff. <laughs> you don't really appreciate it till it's gone, do you? <laughs> So true. So true. When it comes to marketing, what does your ideal client look like? Oh, you know what? I, I work really hard. So I, um, I only want to work with, and I'm too honest to work with anybody who I think is doing something that I wouldn't actually want to buy myself. So um, I work with a lot of really great people and produce. So growers or nonprofit associations um, or, or industry associations. Um, sometimes people from outside of the country, people that are importing fresh fruit or vegetables when we can't grow it here ourselves. Definitely, I support local when in season, but we we don't grow everything. But people that I like to work with are people who are really passionate about what they're doing, and I can get excited about their business because then it's easy for me to sell it, right? It's easy for me to want to work for them and to advocate for them and support them in everything because I you know, genuinely believe in what they're doing. There have been some companies I've turned down there was one doing like a baby food supplement thing for a mother to help kind of increase her breast milk supply. And okay. I didn't work with them because I felt that's not something I would advocate for. I actually think that there are some basic things you can do as a mother when you're nursing. And mm-hmm. I don't personally think you have to feel the pressure to buy expensive formulations to be successful. So you're very much, it has to be very much on brand for you before you take that on and pass that along to your clients. Yeah, for sure. Because I live and breathe it, right? I'll be thinking about it all the time. So if I don't really believe in it, I won't do it. And for the content creator that's out there that is wondering how they can amp up their game to gain the attention of someone like yourself. Well, I mean, I definitely have found people who have engaged with me online. If you actively engage in in an authentic way with what they're doing, then certainly. But some people don't do it. You know, it's interesting how many people will write to you, but don't follow or engage with you at all. They'll just call and send a DM and say, oh, we'd love to work with you. I was reading an interesting book recently, and it was about find the smallest market possible to be successful or to be viable, because you're not going to rock it for everyone. So don't even try. Discover really who it is that you are. What is it you're passionate about? What is it you're excited about? And then go for it. Well, that's what I said. I can't be everyone's cup of tea, but I may be for a few. <laughs> Now we're going to play a game of this or that. Dog or cat? Cat? I'm, I'm on the fence. I like them both. Okay, pizza or pasta? <laughs> terrible. Jimmy, I like, I want to say pizza because it's so yummy, but we eat pasta a lot. Now, could that be because pasta is quick to make? Yes, and the kids love it. There you go. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Caramel or vanilla? Vanilla. Corn or peas? Yeah, this is terrible. I like them all equally. I'm going to say I do. I like, like, I like caramel too. I like, I like them both. 
I, actually, can I tell you, my husband hates this about me because he's like, you have no one favorite. You like everything. You like everything. So this, so this game is pretty much lost on you. I like it all. I do. I like everything. There's like oh, very few things I don't like. You'll be able to choose from this. Comedy or horror? Oh, comedy for sure. There we go. See, I got you on one. For sure. <laughs> you know what I don't like? I don't like homemade soup with big fat chunks in it. I don't like that at all. It's just gross. <laughs> well, we have lots to discuss. And at the top of the list is Food Freedom Day. Yeah. What is it? And what is? why is this message so important? Okay, so Food Freedom Day, I think, came out of an agricultural group just to sort of bring awareness to the bounty that of good fresh food that we have in Canada. So often, I think, as consumers... We are a bit spoiled here for choice. And we often think, oh, the groceries are so expensive. And then you hear in the reports in the news sometimes about food prices going up, you know, and everyone has a little grumble. But the reality is in the global world, food in Canada is actually inexpensive. It's usually around February 8th or February 9th. It's food in Canada. So that what that means is that the average person has earned enough by that date to feed themselves for the whole year. That's incredible. So in Canada, they use an average uh, income of, I think, $32,000, which isn't huge. But I think the idea is that I guess it's including people who don't earn a living. You know, they're stay-at-home moms or, they, or they're retired or they have limited income. The estimated amount that they've calculated for feeding yourself for the year is just over $3,000. So we need about 10% of what we earn to feed ourselves for the year. And I mean, certainly we could say, oh, well, we spend way, way, way more than $3,000. But you know, you don't have to go to get a $5 latte every day and you don't have to eat out at a restaurant where, you know, it's significantly more expensive, right? There certainly are ways to make your food shopping less expensive and still eat well. But if you look in other places of the world, other countries that are sort of considered developed, like in Europe, there are some countries that spend 17% of their annual income on food. So their food freedom day would come later in the year. In developing countries, in lots of countries in Africa, for example, they spend about 50% of their income on food. So 10% is relatively insignificant. And I think the idea of Food Freedom Day is a sort of a touch point for how we value food in this country. There's such abundance here, we don't value the food. I think we've all been there where sometimes you might buy something expensive and then you don't eat it or you know, perhaps it's even bad when you open it. And that hurts, right? If you mm-hmm. spend like say 10 or $15 on one item and it sort of goes off before you eat it, like, ooh, there's some remorse there. But if you think about it in a bigger picture, food waste is not just the food that's wasted. If you think about what resources were spent, what did it really cost to get that food home? So Mm -hmm. all of the resources to grow the food, to store the food, right? To refrigerate the food, to ship it. All of those resources are lost when you throw away that lettuce at the end of the week. I'm Mary Mamalini, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Nicole Marinick about food waste and Food Freedom Day. I did a little research and I actually read that one third of all food produced globally was wasted. Yeah. And Isn't that shocking? Well, it is if you aren't familiar with it. I'm, I mean, I've been working in food waste uh, research for over 10 years. When I first was working on a paper and we sort of came up with the number of how much food was wasted in Canada, it's highly offensive, actually not just for the waste of resource, but also, you know, what does that mean to the environment with all that rotting food in the system? How is it dealt with? But also, 
it's not just environmental, it's economic, but it's also um, a social thing, right? There are a lot of people who don't have access to good food um, or who have limited incomes and, and instead of throwing the food away, it could be used. But I think having come from the background that I do, the goal is always how can we reduce food waste at source? Certainly there's the other side, it is important. What do you do with the food so it isn't thrown away at the end of the day, it does get used if it's edible, but wouldn't it be better if we had processes that were more efficient and effective that we didn't have those dilemmas coming up all the time. There have been different studies, and I think the most up-to-date one actually puts more food waste or food loss before it gets to the consumer. Earlier studies had suggested that about half of the food wasted happened um, before the consumer gets it, and about half happened after the consumer gets it. But now, Really? I never would have guessed it was a 50-50. I don't think it is now. There's more up-to-date. There's a really good... Um, paper that was done by a company that I work with called Value Chain Management International. I was not involved with this paper. They worked on a project with Second Harvest, and that's online. So if you go to Second Harvest or Value Chain Management International, you can download the paper yourself and see. But they have a breakout there of through the supply chain where food is lost and where food is wasted. And when I say food loss and waste, typically in the industry, food loss is kind of before it gets to the retailer. So it's like in the production side. And then food waste is kind of once it gets to like the consumer retailer side. Typically, Canadians trust retailers to only sell food that is safe. And I think we can we can feel confident in that. They have very high standards. Often retailer standards are higher than the legal requirements by the Canadian government for food safety or the way that things are inspected or accepted, the way they look. Um, so sometimes, you know, carrots or different fruits or vegetables will be thrown away because they don't meet the specification, not on necessarily freshness, but how they look, if they're too big or too small. Sometimes they're not even harvested. They're pulled out of the ground and left to rot the field. Um, it used to be called seconds, where these like potatoes that weren't big enough were basically sent for animal feed or compost. And when I first saw that, when I first went to visit a potato packer, I was horrified because I actually thought, wow, the ones that you're throwing away are the ones that are perfect size for my family. Right. <laughs> I don't want a massive potato. Why are you throwing these away? Well, that's exactly it. Right? But the, I guess the person or the retailer, that retail chain that that person was packing for or that company was packing for, didn't, it didn't fit their specification. See, so that's the thing. The ones that are smaller are misshapen because they're not, and I'm doing these air quotes, perfect, um, aesthetically appealing. Um, I read while ago, and I've been waiting for this, that they were going to have like this perfectly imperfect section in larger chain grocery stores um, where they sell this mismatched fruit, let's say. Yeah. I still haven't seen it. No. Okay. So I don't know what happened there for sure, but I suspect it just didn't do that well. And that's, you know, that's the thing. So it's easy to point a finger and say, oh, those retailers, their standards are too high. And, you know, they're the reason that we've got food waste, but it's not really that. We as consumers, retailers are doing, you know, what they think consumers will buy, right? They're in the business of make, making a profit. So we, as consumers, tend to want food that looks perfect, for sure, right? We're all guilty of it. Yeah. And then, uh, so they have to look perfect. But also the way that we shop psychologically is that we shop where things are abundant. So stores have to over uh, buy so that they don't run out because we buy from full abundant displays. See, and someone like me, low vision, or if you're blind, mm -hmm. you have to touch the food. Oh, yeah. You want to sure. touch it so you make sure you know what's happening. So you are handling it, which is a great thing. But we also rely, and I can speak for myself, that I rely a lot on packaging dates. 
So if I'm looking to buy the smaller apples, like we mentioned, they go into the bags, I look for that packaging date because that'll tell me how fresh these apples really are without even having to touch them or see them. No, no, I totally get it. So um, the thing about dates is there's only five things in Canada that have to have true expiry dates. Um, I think things like baby formula or like meal suppressant drinks or something like that. But um, nothing else has to have a best before. The best before dates are there as a guide, right? And I do think that stores use them for stock shelving to try to keep things moving along. And so we have dates on things, um, but like canned fruits and vegetables that are shelf stable, you can probably safely consume them a year past the best before. And cooked luncheon meats are probably a week past best before. Oh gosh, I hope my husband doesn't listen to this because I'm that type of person that I'm the day before. It's like, okay, this is bad. Well, and then you know, we also, I think you and I are probably the same age, but it was like that thing, when in doubt, throw it out, right? Yeah. I'm very passionate about not wasting food. We try really hard to shop our house before we shop. Second Harvest, actually, they've got an infographic, a cheat sheet for things that are best before dates and when you probably could safely actually consume it by. And some of your tips for reducing food waste, like you just mentioned, shop at home first. Yeah, I think that's a big one. We often um, go shopping when we're out and about and you think, oh, just I'm out right now, so I'll go shopping. And we don't really go in with a plan, right? We just go because it's, you know, it's convenient to go right now. So we don't really remember what we have at home or what we have in the freezer. I've been following on social right now, um, Marilyn Smith. She's, she's, I love her. Yeah, I love her too. She, she's this month been saying every February she shops her freezer because Mm -hmm. how often of us do this? So I do this too. If something is, I'm not going to use it and I know I'm not going to use it before it goes bad, I'll put it in the freezer. And if you think almost any fruit and vegetable you can buy frozen, you could freeze yourself at home, right? So shop your house, use the stuff in your freezer. Be thoughtful about what you're buying and how you're going to use it. A lot of us in Canada are driven by flyer sales still. The flyers are really important for the grocery industry. And, um, you know, we'll buy two-for-ones or multi-buys when sometimes we really don't need them. We just buy it because it's a good deal. But it's not a good deal if you end up throwing it away. There are things like don't shop hungry, which I think most people know. A lot of people will, like, kind of turn to, um, you know, prepared foods or whatever. You don't have to do that. You know, for my kids, when they're hungry, if you give them fruits and vegetables that are already cut, like carrots and celery and cut up apple or whatever, if you just put it on a platter, they'll demolish it, right? After school or when they're hungry. And do you talk to the kids about food waste? Um, kind of, but I think it's just kind of something that we've, it's always here in our house. Like, oh, you mustn't waste it. And I have to say my one, my, my one child, our daughter, she's quite sensitive to it. And she gets a bit upset. It's like, I have to eat it all because I don't want it to go in the garbage. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, you know, we also don't want to make you force feed yourself. Just <laughs> That's also not a healthy thing to do. So there's a bit of balance. But so I'm saying wash things in, in advance and prepare them in advance to eat them. But then there are things like um, tender fruit or grapes or blueberries Um, those sorts of things, it's actually better if you don't wash them until you're just about to eat them. Because a lot of those things have uh, what they call a bloom. So you know you ever see on a blueberry or a plum or um, grapes, that sort of white residue? A lot of people think that's pesticides or some kind of spray residue, but it's actually the natural um, protection of the plant to prevent decay. So it's called the bloom. And if you wash those things in advance too soon, then the fruit gets kind of like mushy and yucky. So basically we are buying too much, yeah. cooking too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we don't store correctly. So if we if we check off those three, 
I think those are big ones, really. I think a big one, though, is that we buy too much. We buy too much because it's relatively low cost for us. Well, now that we're talking about food, Mm -hmm. what recipe has never failed you? My lasagna. It's my favorite. That's music to my ears, lasagna. I know. There's a couple different ways. Like sometimes I'll buy cottage cheese and I'll put it in instead of making my white sauce from scratch. Um, or sometimes I've run out of white sauce. I didn't make quite enough. Mm-hmm. And then I, like, I'll have like a can of um, or a jar of like pre-made Alfredo sauce or something, like the emergency one that I add to it as well. But for the most part, it's always the same. And um, I think part of it is we, we add a lot of vegetables into it. And there's like carrots and celery and mushrooms and often zucchini and I also actually um probably some people might cringe if they're like really Italian and it's not purist but I usually use cheddar as well as mozzarella okay or I've heard of that I've and, heard of that and also parmesan too so I like I use like and sometimes yeah you mix it all I'm using all the cheeses I have in the fridge I just use whatever there's well, see, there's your fridge yum. clean out <laughs> yeah. right fridge clean out yeah. signature dish two in one <laughs> I know. it's true i know is my favorite and i it's a lot of work because it is it's but it's because we make usually two or three to go and then we freeze a few but that's my favorite is there something that you would never make or you would never try cooking with you know i have to say that um i work on a program for a client and we work with different influencers and we do videos for them Mm-hmm. And things that I had never done before were really like Asian inspired recipes. I was always, um, I grew up in a re- really typical sort of English household where it was like boil the vegetables to death, overcook the roast, yeah, yeah. no spices, you know, horseradish was as hot as it got really. But um, I, I think that I'm getting more adventurous having learned from all these people that I work with. So recently in our house, we actually made um those little dumplings where you cook all the, you chop everything super fine and put in a dumpling and then um, we sort of steam them. That was awesome. I I had never done that before. Mm, Okay. And the first time I made spring rolls was also revolutionary for me. I couldn't believe I had been paying so much money for them for years when they were so easy to do myself. You know, even though I'm well-educated in food as a, as a person, I'm like everybody else. We typically will make the same eight to 12 recipes week in, week out. Right. So we go into mm-hmm. autopilot when we go shopping, you kind of get the same things that we, you know, are going to be a winner. You might buy the odd thing that's new, but for the most part, you're buying the same things all the time because it's easy and you know that you'll have success. So this is the part where I ask every single guest to share with me or to share with us your kitchen confession. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Everyone giggles right after it. They're like, OK, which one should I tell? That's kind of it, right? Oh, no. <laughs> two really probably um so one is my personal um instagram is nicole burns food and that's there's two reasons one is because my partner's name is burns and my and my children their names are burns but then unfortunately even though we talk about food waste and food being sustainable and i it is really important to me the thing is um i hate clutter in the kitchen so i have instead of having a toaster and a toaster oven i have just a toaster oven and i used to have this cheap toaster oven and because I worked from home most days, I would get really hungry and then I'd make toast in this toaster oven, but I'd be too impatient to wait for it to toast. And the timer on it or whatever was just not very sensitive. And I basically burnt toast like every day. And the kids <laughs> would come home and there'd be toast outside on the front porch, like black, right? Because I couldn't have it in the house because all the smoke alarms would be going off. And uh, yeah. um, my daughter wrote a whole story about mummy burns who burns the food. <laughs> <laughs> 
pay to read that. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, like, and partly it's because I'm trying to do too many things at once, right? So Mm -hmm. it does happen, unfortunately. I think since we we have invested in a new toaster oven, um, and that doesn't happen very often anymore, thankfully, but that was, there was a period um, where I was burning toast very frequently. And then probably one of my other favorite ones is when I was young, uh, I used to try to help my mom cook because she was a working single single mother, and so I would I would cook meals. And um, one time, my aunt I think was coming over for dinner, and I was probably like twelve or thirteen, and I wanted to make something fancy, so I wanted to make lemon chicken, um, but we didn't have any lemon, so I think I used grapefruit, <laughs> and I've got to say. It was horrible. <laughs> it was inedible. Oh, thank you for these. <laughs> I have one more. Can I tell you one oh, more? Yeah, go you for it. Like. Okay, so in my twenties, <laughs> I moved to. I lived in England for my twenties, and in England, when I lived there, they did not celebrate Thanksgiving. So I decided I was going to host a really fabulous Thanksgiving for my friends to introduce them to the concept of Thanksgiving. And my first year, I invited like 10 or 12 people. But of course, I didn't have any dishes. I didn't have a blender. I didn't have any equipment because like, I just moved there from Canada. I had no money. So I went to like, what was the equivalent of like, um, like the Salvation Army or, um, mm-hmm. you know, a charity shop. And I, I bought a few things that I really had to have. And um, also, they didn't really traditionally serve pumpkin pie. So I had to actually buy a pumpkin, which cost a fortune because it was so rare. I had to like, mm-hmm. find a place to find a pumpkin. Bought this pumpkin. I had to make a pumpkin pie from scratch and the turkey. And I'd never actually made a turkey by myself either. So, and I think if you know, like in England, most traditional kitchens are very small. And we had a bar fridge for our, our fridge. That was our fridge, right? So you're trying to do this like big meal for all these people with this tiny little fridge and this tiny little kitchen. And I was kind of rushing and I put the turkey in and then I had to make the pumpkin pie and the pumpkin pie tasted delicious, I've got to say, but mm-hmm. it had um, a lot of strings in it. Okay. <laughs> kind of like dental floss from... I was just going to say instant floss, so it's okay. You get to floss your teeth after. <laughs> and the, the turkey, I did hide it from my guests at the time, but I had forgotten to take out the giblets in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> So I cooked it all in there. <laughs> and then when I cooked it, I, never co- I was doing the card. I'm like, what the hell is that? <gasps> I had to like take it all out and kind of hide it so nobody could see. And I think a few people saw and kind of laughed at me. And so at the end of the meal, I made all of my friends go around and see what they were thankful for. And, you know, a lot of them were very gracious and were like, oh, you know, I'm thankful for having Nicole teach us what Thanksgiving is and blah, blah, blah. And I had one very honest guest who was like, I'm thankful I will never have to, because I made them all eat pumpkin pie. I made them all try it. <laughs> And it's like, I'm thankful I don't have to eat another bite of that pumpkin pie. It's <laughs> 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 hilarious. Everyone's got such great Thanksgiving confessions. Uh, it's so funny. It's the first one everyone kind of brings up. Is it? You know, I think when oh, we're yeah. all learning, right? We all kind of start and you're doing the best you can, but we don't know. It's because we put so much pressure on ourselves around Thanksgiving to do these huge meals and... <laughs> <laughs> And everything's forgotten. (laughs) But my favorite really was the sort of grapefruit chicken that really was so... That's hilarious. I can taste it and think, oh. So if our our listeners want to get a hold of you, follow you, get in touch with you, how can they find you? Um, The most active account that I'm working on on social media is The Yummy Farm. 
So they can always DM me there. Okay. That's Instagram, Twitter, um, um, Facebook. Facebook? Yes. yes. Awesome. At the Yummy Farm. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Be sure to visit kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. I'd like to thank producer and editor Matt Agnew, and I'm Mary Mamaliti. See you at the next episode.